stereo at your record collection. The way you look, you'll qualify for next year's old expansion. Stand and deliver the money or your life. I'm the daddy highwayman, so sick of easy fashion. The clumsy boots pick up roots that people think so dashy. So what's the point of Hello, and uh, how the devil are you? Hope you're all good. Thank you for joining us again on Don't Break the Earth Podcast. Please subscribe. Uh, <laughs> you always forget to mention that, so there you go. So today, we're a little bit off-piece, aren't we? We're, um, we're doing something slightly different than the norm. It's not paranormal. It's a uh, piece of history. Yeah, it's more Truth historical. This one. This one is it's the... just an interesting story, isn't yeah. it? That, you know, so we thought we'd bring it to your attention and really what inspired me to do this uh, story today is I recently went to York uh, and some of you on the, the Don't Break the Earth Paranormal Hangout would have seen the picture of me and this guy dressed, you know, the the, the, uh, the ghost keeper he's called and it, basically he's a storyteller a ghost walk uh, in York uh, and so if you're ever in York go and see the ghost keeper he's got a website and that if you want to check it out but he told, obviously based in York, he told the story of Dick Tippin. Dick Tippin, yep. Uh, and, well, a little bit. So we thought we'd just get into it a bit more detail because it's an interesting story and a lot of you won't have heard it. I mean, a lot of you will, you know, because it's been on TV. And, yeah, you know, but not films. this stuff what we've gone no. through. You won't see this on that. Yeah, no, but... you don't get him beating buttocks. In, uh, <laughs> Someone's buttocks with his yeah, pistols. Man. Get, getting pistol whipped, you so, know. Uh, and burning all grinds on the fire. He's supposed to be a gentleman's thief. Yeah. You know, but well, that, yeah, that's the, that's the strange thing about mm. the highwayman. So, yeah. For those who don't know, Dick Turpin was a highwayman, highwayman. and um, essentially, what a highwayman is is a well, a a person who operates on the highways and um, takes what he can. Yes, uh, normally travelling by horse, of course. As a you know, this was up to not all the time. Obviously, they can just you know be there with the guns when the horses and the cowgy turns up. That's so. it. Yeah, but most uh, yeah, um, if you like sort of Robin Hood's a similar sort of yeah. thing. But but you Obviously, know, yeah. but he's got a bit more of a glorious reputation, I guess. But highwaymen tended to operate in Great Britain from the Elizabethan area until the nineteenth century. Now, what I do like about the highwaymen is this: is the other way other. The first time it appears is in 1617. Other names that they go by is Knights of the Road, the Gentlemen of the Road, which mm. you know I don't quite understand. If someone's holding you up and uh, want your money off you, uh, and, delivering you know, the gentleman, delivering the immortal words of stand and deliver. Yeah, I, I don't see that as being a gentlemanly mm. thing to do. But this is my best. This is my favourite one. I mean, 19th century in the American West, highwaymen were known as road agents, and for our lovely Australian listener. Jody, Jody. If, if you're listening, they were called bush rangers in Australia. <laughs> bush rangers, right? G'day, mate. Give me all your money. I'm a bush ranger. <laughs> so, yeah, what, what happened today? Would it really? You know, just get case of Foster's woman. Yeah, you know, does it? I mean, so, that happens now. It's called mugging, isn't it? Yeah, mugging. And... But essentially, that's what he highwayman was. And obviously, those people who've seen Dick Tapin will know he's got the bandana across the face, the tricorn hat. Yep. Um, think Black Adam, Yep. Think Adam and the ants. Yeah. This one, that. this one, we've gone really deep into it from like from the beginning, haven't we? With, yeah. with the gang and how it's set up, how how he started, and we've we'll give you the story. Uh, yeah, I think it's quite interesting. We'll give you the story as is, and then we've just added our bits to it. So Definitely. We'll yeah. See if you enjoy this. Please let us know if you do. We don't. Um, you know, it's all relative, so we'd like to know either way. 
Yeah. Um, I'm also, at the end of this tale today, I'm going to include a listener story, uh, which was sent in from Emily. And the winner of the t-shirt competition, Nathaniel, Nathaniel. Uh, actually runs a podcast called Stranger Than Podcast. If you get a chance, check that out. Uh, and it's you know it's another paranormal kind kind of podcast, yep. so you might enjoy that. And obviously, he resides in America. He's picked out his T-shirt. He's gone for the the one with the, you know the the Bigfoot on and the spaceship and all yeah, that stuff. So the original one. The original yep. one. So he's yep. gone. He's okay. gone for that. So you know. So obviously, hopefully, once he gets it, we'll get a picture of him in it and all that. So, uh, so yeah, Nathaniel, if you're wishing, if you're listening, yeah, <laughs> stick your T-shirt on Nathaniel yeah. and show us you know show in, in all its glory. But yeah, there'll be another competition soon enough. So yeah, we'll sort that out. I guess, without further ado, we should get into Dick Turpin. Should we start with uh, Dick himself then? Right, okay. Richard Turpin was born at the Blue Bell Inn, later became the Rosen Crown in Hempstead, Essex. He was the fifth of six children to John Turpin and Mary Elizabeth Parmenter. He was baptised on 21st September 1705 in the same parish where his parents had been married more than 10 years earlier. Right, Turpin's father was a butcher and an innkeeper. Several stories suggest that Dick Turpin may have followed his father into these trades. One hints that, as a teenager, he was apprenticed to a butcher in the village of Whitechapel while another proposes that he ran his own butcher's shop in Thaxted. Testimony from his trial in 1739 suggests that he had a rudimentary education, and although no records survive of the date of the union, that in about 1725, he married Elizabeth Millington. Following his apprenticeship, they moved north to Buckhurst Hill in Essex, where Turpin opened a butcher's shop. And that... Butcher's shop, you know, that, started it. That's how you know yeah. a life can change just on yeah. on opening something as uh, you know as mundane as that. Yeah. Uh, really sent him down this criminal path, and that yeah. that all transpired because he met members of what was called the Gregory Gang yep. or the Essex Gang. So the, the Gregory Gang got its name because of the Gregory brothers that were involved in the Gang. Uh, gang, as I say, it's also yeah, yeah. known as the Essex Gang. And the the Gregory brothers themselves were Jasper Gregory, Jeremy Gregory, and Samuel Gregory. But other known associates of the gang were Tom Banfield, Mary Brazier, John Fielder, Herbert Haynes, John Jones, James Parkinson, Joseph Rose, Thomas Roden, Ned Rust, William Saunders. And obviously, uh, Dick Turpin, Humphrey Walker, and a young John Wheeler. So that you know, there was a few members to this gang. But yeah, they started off as poachers, didn't they? Poaching, yeah. Well, uh, and obviously, is I think was uh, Paramount was he had a butcher shop. Yes, and obviously they need somewhere to get rid of their ill-gotten gains and yeah, or cut it down and whatever and and move it on. So we think. You know, it's logical to assume that you know they give him a, a few quid to turn the turn the cheat sort of thing, and yep, they, that's it. And it looks like he did, but the problem you got is that in nineteen sorry seventeen twenty three, the Black Act was enacted, and this was the act that made it outlawed it to uh, blacken or disguise your face while in the forest, which is obviously what they used to do when they used to go 
raid in the forest. You know, they used to cover the faces. Yeah, like, highwaymen. Yeah, you know, used to put the, the thing up there. The bandana. The bandana up there. And, you know, stand and deliver, whatever, you know. And the mask was on, so he was outlawed then. Yeah, because... So obviously it was... The, the day deal in itself was a domestic offence, uh, but it was really getting out of hand. And like I say, that act was brought in in 1723, but it, in 1737, they give you, if you got caught day stealing, you got seven years yeah. transportation, Station, didn't it? Which was Australia, wasn't it? Australia or America. So That's right, yeah. It. So, um, so it was, you know, serious shit if you got caught. But it didn't have the desired effect that the law, the Black Act was, you know, the people were still going on doing it. So... It caused a few in seventeen thirty one. It caused seven vaderas, who were basically land judges, yeah, to right. uh, to become pretty concerned. In fact, that they signed the affidavit, which demonstrated their worries. Uh, so you know they lodged it with a guy called Thomas Pelham Hollies, who was the first Duke of Newcastle, who responded by offering a ten pound reward to anyone who helped identify the thieves, plus a pardon for those thieves who gave up their colleagues. Now we should say this 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 time here that ten pounds in them days was a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, ten pounds you're talking about maybe a grand and a half in today's money. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's nothing to be sniffed at as no, ten pounds. If you, you know. think that the and average also to, you know, to grass on your yeah. neighbours or something, you know, that he's done it, it it's it's difficult to get a it's difficult to get an um, exact figure, but we think that the average wage for a labourer in them days was about £6 a week. Yeah. So £10 reward, it's like, you know, it's a decent it's a decent chunk, in it? So... Can't be, can it? Yeah, it was. Can't be £6 a week if that's worth... You weren't getting three grand a week, was there? Six pounds. It was ten pounds. It was ten pounds a, a week. Right? I suppose the average wage is grand now, eh? so it works yeah, out. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But you know, it's uh, uh, plus a pardon for the thieves who gave up their colleagues. In other words, you grass on them, you know, and anyone else you responsible, yeah, will will go free. So obviously, at that point, they stopped poaching, you know, because it was getting. I mean, there's a lot of people obviously were grassing eat on each other, and and you know things were just falling apart. So. It looks like at that point the gang decided to move into the burglary trade, didn't yeah. they? And by all accounts, they were well well in with, or, or Dick Tapin himself was well in with the gang at that point, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and he even through the butchery trade, which he obviously was doing on, on the side for them, but they reckon that he also became the landlord of the public house which his dad used to own, which was the Groves and Crown. So again, you know, the guys would have been drinking in there. Uh, so he was involved and he heard about these burglaries. And the money that these guys were meant to be mm. making, yeah, and it looks like at that point he decided, you know, fuck this, you know, get out of the pub and and you know butchery and get in and get in this. Yeah. And all I want yeah. to say as well is that following the series of nasty incidents, it included the threatening made of keeping the family. Obviously, these things are happening now. Mm. In seventeen thirty three, the government increased the reward to fifty pound. Yeah, so these incidents now are getting out of hand. It, one, it, the poaching's kind of eased off, but now it's. Bagley, uh and Robin and whatever else. Um, yeah, they've moved into other things because, like I say, yeah. the reward's gone up to £50, which they reckon estimated today's worth's about seven grand. About 7000 these so, days. Yeah, so it's a, you know, the, the, you know, the government really what this... So you can imagine people... Kicked were, out. Yeah, we're grass, they want really bad. people. Yeah. So then we move to October 1734. Yep. Uh, the... Which the... 
yep. most of the gang by that time had been captured or, or fled. fled. Uh, and the remaining members moved away from poaching. Now they would they they, uh, they were raiding the home of a, a chandler, and uh, which would that what's is a um, candle maker. a candle maker. Okay, and they also um, they they also burgled a grocer named Peter Split. Uh, this was at Wood- Woodford. Although the uh, identities of the perpetrators were unknown, but the possible Turpin may have been, been involved. Mm. Uh, it is said that two nights later they struck again at the Woodhood- Woodford home of a gentleman named Richard Woolridge. He was a furnisher of small arms in the Office of Ordnance at the Tower of London. So he must have had a few quick... Yeah, also they're, they're going to go, he's got cash, yeah. we're going there. Or he's and got possibly, trinkets. Yeah. Possibly arms that they wanted possible, as well. Possible, yeah. Uh, in December, Jasper and Samuel Gregory, uh, John Jones and John Wheeler attacked the home of John Gladwin. Now, um, and John Shockley, uh, this was in Chingford. And on the 19th of December, uh, Turpin and five other men raided the home of Ambrose Skinner. Now, he was a 73-year-old farmer from Barking, uh, leaving, they they said, with an estimated £300. Now, that's yeah. a lot of money. That is a lot of money. I mean, days, a lot of money. And that was made up through... Cash and silver, yeah, and goblets you know, and, and yeah, stuff that, that, that you raided so, through whatever you know, else. the family heirlooms and that. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, and Chingford is in Essex, which is just yep. outside London. Yep. Isn't it? So just for those who don't know, that's it. But there really was going on a crime spree at this point. I mean, when you, yeah. when I suppose when you think about it, it made three hundred notes. A note was shared between about five of them, but it's a lot of money. Yeah, so you can imagine. Well, you two, stashed, there was no banks in the days. No, really they just kept, company, by yeah. the looks of it, the yeah. new, the new, there was out, the, the law was out to get them. So they just, they just kept moving and raiding when, as, as they went, didn't yeah. they? Uh, and two days later, the they turn up at um, the home of a uh, keeper, William Mason, and this is at the Epping Epping Forest again. Yeah. Um, and during the robbery, Mason's servant managed to escape. Return about an hour later with several neighbours, by which time the house was ransacked and the thieves were long gone. Uh, on the 11th of January, 1735, the gang raided the Charlton home of Mr. Saunders for the robbery of a gentleman named Sheldon. One week later at Croydon, okay. Turpin arrived masked and armed with pistols. And this is where you get like the traditional... Image yeah. of him standing there. Uh, yeah, well, this one is actually his home. So, with uh, four other members of the gang, in the same month, two men, possibly from the same gang, raided the home of Reverend Dyke. D die Dyke died. 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 Reverend died. The clergyman was absent, but the two cut his maid manservant around the face in barbar in a barbarous 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 in a barbarous manner. Another brutal attack occurred on the 1st of February, 1735, at Lawton. Right. Uh, on Saturday night, uh, about 7 o'clock, five rogues entered the house of the widow, Shelley, at Lawton in Essex, having pistols and co, and threatened to murder the old lady, if she would not tell them where her money lay, mm. which she obstinately refused for some time. They threatened to lay her across the fire, if she did not instantly tell them, which she would not do. So, but her son, being in a room and threatened to be murdered, cried out he would tell them if they would not murder his mother, and did whereupon they went upstairs and took nearly one hundred pound, a silver tankard, and another plate, and all manner of household goods. They they afterwards went into the cellar and drank several bottles of ale and wine. So obviously they they wasn't really bothered about it. <laughs> broil uh, some broil meat. some meat, ate the relics of a fillet of veal. 
And while they were doing this, two of the gang went to Mr. Turkle's, a farmer's, who rents uh, one end of the widow's house, and robbed him of £20. And then they all went off, taking two of the farmer's horses to carry off their luggage. The horses were found on Sunday the following morning in an old street and stayed about three hours in the house. Hmm. So then we, you know, this is all really happening fast. So they're not really, they're, they're just, this money they're making, they're earning this money and they're selling stuff and, not, you know, this is... It's, 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 well, they're living, they're living in and around London, aren't they? But they're moving, they're, obviously, you know, they've got to keep moving because they they know that there aren't the, the law's on to them. I mean, this one got me more, I think, really, than, you know, it, this is it. Uh, on the 4th of February, 1735, he, he, he was alleged he met John Fielder, Samuel Gregory, Joseph Rowe and John Wheeler at an inn along the Broadway in London. Mm. Right, they planned to rob the house of Joseph Lawrence, who was a farmer at Aylesbury Farm in Edgware. Later that afternoon, after stopping twice along the way for food and drink, they captured a shepherd boy and burst into the house armed with pistols. They bound the two maidservants and brutally attacked the 70-year-old farmer. They pulled his breeches around his ankles yeah. and dragged him around the house. Don't know why. Whatever. I mean, but he still refused to give up the whereabouts of his money. Yeah, but... I mean, but, yeah. but then they started pouring um, kettle water over his, his head. head. Yeah, and Turpin beat Lawrence bare buttocks with his pistols. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. badly bruising him. And other members of the gang beat him around the head with their pistols. Obviously, yeah. they, they meant business. Yeah, absolutely. Give us your money, you're dead. They dragged him around the house by his nose and his <laughs> hair, which, yeah. which fucking hurts, doesn't oh, it? Absolutely. Getting dragged around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that still didn't... Do the job, so they raped one of his maids. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was actually Gregory who said who took one of the maids servants well, and raped her Gregory for their trouble. Yeah, and uh, and obviously poured this boiling water over his head. Uh, in the end, he 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 told them where the money was, but it, I mean, yeah, but they only managed the to get what thirty pounds, which is still you know today a lot of money. money. It's still a few grand, well, isn't it? They've been getting bigger money. Somewhere yeah, but yeah. You know, so then you know, three days later, the same men, well, the same men and William Saunders and uh, Humphrey <clears throat> Walker blew, brutally raided the home of a farm in Merleybone. Mir- yep. Uh, and the, the attack netted just under £90, pounds, again. which again is, you know... A lot of money. So this this causes the Duke of uh, Newcastle to offer a, a more substantial award of £50, 50 pounds in exchange for information, yep. uh, leading to the conviction of uh, any of the several persons involved. Obviously, some information came forward, because on the 11th of February, Fielders, Saunders and Wielder were apprehended. It says two accounts... Of their capture exists, so obviously that's kind of, you know... Facts. Facts, yeah. yeah. Okay. It says... Um, one claims that they were on the way to rob Lawrence's household and the gang stopped an alehouse in Edgware on the 11th of February. While walking, they, the owner noticed a group of horses outside the alehouse in Blooms, Bloomsbury yep. and recognised the horses of those uh, by the same group of men that had stopped in the alehouse before the Lawrence attack. So this, this landlord basically... Recognised the getaway vehicle, yeah, which was horses, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so it, it didn't have a it didn't have a license plate on it, did yeah. it? You know, it's just like I don't know, uh, pff, but whatever. You know, he, just um, the butts of it, I don't know, you know. Just, so obviously he gets the old uh, gets the old parish constable, constable in, in yeah. you know, and he he manages to arrest these 
fellows that when they was arrested, they was drinking with this Mary Brazier, who you know was a known associate of the gang. Um, and she, by all accounts, is the one that was moving the deal, gotten gains on, wasn't she? Yeah, obviously yeah. all the stuff that she was moving about. And, yeah. You know what I mean? So, so they were all arrested and committed to prison. Wheeler, who was only fifteen at the time, was quickly betrayed his colleagues, which I thought was quite. Yeah, I mean, know. he he bricked it and yeah, and as he grasped, yeah, grasped them. Yeah, yeah, you know, told told you know, basically told them just open and spilled his guts, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, this Mary Brazier, she got sent to. Um, she got sent to America as well. Yeah, she, she did. Got, yeah, she got, she got, she got the, Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'll say at the time. They, they, I mean, these were actually sick. This was in the press. It, this was in the uh, London Gazette. So absolutely, you know, this, yeah. this, this got news got to taping, didn't it? I mean, he was obviously he was reading the papers at the time. Yeah, he must have noticed it because he described yeah. him as Richard Turpin, a butcher by trade. Yeah, and this is the you know the thing about Turpin is. Everyone pictures him as this glamorous highwayman and all this. Well, it's what the media you know, yeah. has portrayed but him. When he's not that, he's not. When you look that. at the description of him, this is the description of uh, of Dick Turpin. He says that he's a tall, fresh-coloured man, very much marked with a with the face of smallpox. So you know his face is all potted. Yeah. Um, he was twenty six at the time. He was about five feet nine inches high. Lived some time. Yeah, lived some time in, in Whitechapel and did lately lodge somewhere about Millbank. So yep, and he wears a blue, grey coat and, and natural wig. What's a natural wig? A wig made of hair. Oh, right, okay. Which I don't think would do you any good because I thought the wigs were to stop <coughs> lice and shit. I thought they were for the judges. <laughs> they used to wear wigs and that stopped lice and all that crap, didn't they? But I mean, if you got a, a wig of hair, I don't know. I imagine ah. saying that they're drinking your blood. So yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. But apparently, by all accounts, he was his cheekbones were sticking out, and you know he had a face full of. Pot marks and that, so he doesn't sound very glam- glamorous at all, does he? So this Wheeler then, he's confessing, isn't he? You know, he's giving up all the names of everybody. Obviously, Turpin and the Gregories are know about this. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I say, it was in the paper, so, you know, they they got you know good wind of this. Once Wheeler's confession became apparent, the other members of the gang fled their usual haunts. So it was all yep. legged in one. They were, so they, were, they were off. This was on the fifteenth um, of February, seventeen thirty-five. Yeah, so this yeah. is while he is he's still under custody, confessing away. Yeah, that's right. They decide to get out of there. So three or four men, most likely Samuel Gregory, Herbert Haynes, and Tip, and possibly that uh, Thomas Roden, robbed the house of a Mrs. Saint John of Chingford. Yeah, on the following day, Turpin and Roden, if present, uh, parted company with Gregory Hines uh, and headed for Hempstead to see his family. Uh, Gregory and Hines may have gone looking for Turpin because on the 17th February, they stopped at an alehouse in Debden and ordered a shoulder of mutton, intending to stay the night. Mm. However, a man named Palmer recognised them and called for the parish constable. So Debden is is still outside London, yeah. still in Essex. <coughs> So they haven't got very far. No, but the, I mean, the, I mean, the the buying mutton and spending, you know, so there's so they're living you know, a high life. Yeah, aren't yeah they? absolutely. You know, they're not uh, they're not sh- they're not hiding, are they? Really? No. Uh, so another robbery was reported at Woodford towards the end of February, possibly by Greggy and his cohorts, but uh, with most avenues of Hang escape on. cut off. Missed a bit because it says that um, there was intended to stay the night, didn't the book? Ah, that's right. Yeah, that sorry. guy recognised them. Yeah, but a fracas ensued when they tried to arrest them. Yeah, um, but the thieves escaped. Yeah, and they then rejoined Turpin, and along with Jones and Roden, may have travelled may have travelled to Gravesend before returning to Woodford. 
So they didn't, they didn't go very far. They stayed. They say that, don't they? Most people from Santa say in the crime and all. Yeah. So uh, and they knew the area well, and they could just avoid the law by just keep moving. Uh, you know, and think about it. I mean, this is the days when people are still moving on horseback, and I mean, these places aren't very far apart, but they are if you have to walk it, and uh, you know, even bike, uh, horse and buggy. I mean, it's still still getting around, isn't it? It's still obviously it's getting around a bit, but you know, remember in these days, you know. I mean, you, it's not like that today where you go, oh, you get slapped wrist and something. You, know, you, know, you get gallows for this, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a dangerous job. But it looks you know, like you get caught, you're dead. Oh, well, or, you, or you get carried off to Australia. That's, that's if you make, make the trip from the boat yeah, to Australia. Absolutely. You know, but I mean, I know that I've researched quite a bit into this. And most of them prisoners never made it to Australia or America. No, no. I mean, it's a long voyage. A long voyage. Yeah. They used to get, you know, they'd say, chuck them overboard. Goodbye. Yeah. Adios. Shark food. I mean, but by the end of February, the, the, these, the Gregory gang and the cohorts, they were well known and most avenues of escape have been cut off by the authorities. So they, the remaining Essex gang members just kept their heads down, yep. remained undercover, probably, they believe, hid out in the Epping Forest. You know. Six days after the arrest of Fielder, Saunders and Wheeler, just as Turpin and his associates were returning from Gravesend. Uh, I'll see Rose, Rose. Brazy and Walker were captured at a Chandler's shop in Westminster while drinking punch. As you do. Yeah. Fielder, Rose, Saunders and Walker were tried at a Middlesex general session between 26th of February and the 1st of March 1735. Uh, Turpin and Gregory were also named on the indictment for burglary. Mm. Walker died while still uh, in Newgate Prison. But the remaining three were hanged at Tyburn Gallows on the 10th of March before their bodies were hung to rot in gibbets on Edgware Road. Walker's body was hung in chains. Two days before the hanging, the report of four suspicious men being driven away from an alehouse at East Sheen appeared in a newspaper and was most likely describing Gregory and his companions. Mm. So what do you think they were coming up to to try and rescue these guys? Yeah, I think Did you want to see a man, you Because... I guess at the end of the day, these did grass on them, so they might have come up just to see. Yeah, if well, if, if they're dead, yeah. then they're, they're, they're in the clear. They can't grass on them, can they? No, you know what I mean. So see so, them. Yeah, home. So, uh, oh, thank God for that. They're not going to. They're going to grass on us. You know. So, uh, but the remaining members of the Essex gang were not reported again until the 30th March. So uh, they kept their heads down for 20 yeah. days. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. When three of them unsuccessfully yet yeah, tried to steal a horse from a servant of the Earl of Suffolk. So now it's not doing it. Now they're trying to steal horses, mm. you know. Uh, I mean, Jas- Jasper Gregory, meanwhile, was captured and then executed late in March. His brothers were arrested on the 9th of April in Rake, West Sussex, after a struggle during which Samuel... Uh, lost the tip of his nose to a sword, oh. and Jeremy was shot in the leg. He died in Winchester Jail. Samuel was tried in May and executed on the 4th of June. His body was later moved to hang in chains alongside those of his colleagues at Edgware. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is where we say before, Mary Brazy was, was transported to the 13 colonies, but yeah. we don't know if she survived that trip or whatever. We don't so know. Then Haynes gets captured on 13th of April and was executed in up. August the same year. Yep. Uh, John Wheeler, who had been instrumental in proving the case against the former colleagues, was freed. But then but he died, died in, in Hackney, Hackney in 1738. <clears throat> the reason for his death is not recorded, but is assumed to be of natural causes. Or oh, someone got to him for 
Yeah, yeah. Shut him up. Yeah. Well, for grassing in the first place, which is, you know... Yeah. Okay, so just just to clarify a couple of things before yeah, we move on. a bit of a on. recap. Um, We've got to. When, when it says about uh, where it says Jeremy was shot in the leg and died... And Samuel was later tried on the 4th of June. His body was later moved to hanging chains alongside those of his colleagues at Edgware. That was Fielder, Rose and Saunders, I think. What that means is that, uh, and the, obviously later, when it talks about them, it says um, that they were putting gibbets to rot yep, on Edgware gibbets. Road. Yep. And the gibbets, what they are, basically, and most of you will know what I'm talking about, if you've seen like Pirates of the Caribbean, that kind of shit, it's basically like a metal cage. That's right. Where they put a body in and just hang from yeah. like a crossbeam, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of a, uh, a warning to other people. It's like pirates, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you do this yeah. and this is what's going to happen this, to you. Yeah. And, and they even put the, you know, they executed them first, hanged them, then put the bodies in there as a reminder, you know. Just like, I mean, they put heads on sticks and stuff like that, but they, oh, yeah. but this is the way they chose to do it in, in York or whatever. Yeah. They, they um, put them on, put them on these in these gibbets. So that's what it means when it says was put, you know, sentenced to or his body was put in chains alongside those of the colleagues at Edgware Road. Just to make that point. Yeah. And then uh, the Mary Brazier was transported to the thirteen colonies. Uh, the thirteen colonies, because uh, most people people associate when we say sent to the colonies, most Is people it? associate Australia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but Australia. in this case, we're not talking about yeah. Australia, are we? We're talking no, about the. Uh, this is this is pretty decent because um, I, I, I when I saw it, I thought oh, he's you know shipped him off to Australia, but the thirteen colonies were a group of British colonies on the east coast of North America. Uh, these were founded in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries uh, that declared independence in seventeen seventy six, and that formed the United States of America. Uh, the thirteen colonies had very similar political constitution. Uh, 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 yeah, good day, good, good, good job you had to this point. Constu- uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Legal systems and we're dominated. Constitutional, yeah. Constitu- yeah, what you, you said, Ollie. And we're dominated by Protestant English speakers. Uh, they were part of Britain's possessions in the New World. What I found is interesting as well, Lee, is that um, these colonies, the population at 1625, this is just estimated, mm. yeah. Uh, in 1625 in these colonies, right, was 1,980 people, okay? By 1775, right, estimated was 2.5 million. Mm. Now, how many people were transported from England, right, to these colonies in that time? I think a lot, but then obviously you'll get a few, like, sort of pioneer types who think, oh, yeah, in the but, new world, you know, you know from all 2,000, that. you know, to 2.5 million. Yeah, it's not a bad uh, growth rate, that is no, it? No, definitely not, mate, obviously, yeah. But, um... So that's that then. So that's what it means when we when we refer to the thirteen colonies. Then, just to make that point, yeah. Um, so I guess now we move on to the notorious aspect of uh, you know if anyone's familiar with Dick Turpin, they'll always see him as the yeah, standard dandy, deliver. Yeah, the dandy know, highwayman. I'm the dandy highwayman. Yeah. Um, so, so at this point then, the poaching's done. You know that's gone. The the gang's pretty much been decimated. I won't say decimated because people get offended when you say that word because there's there was like broke up. Yeah, I think decimated means like you take a ten soldiers out of every hundred or something, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people, no, you know, no. so people, no. are, people write into points of view about shit like that. Yeah. So yeah, the gang was broke up. Broke up. Broke up. <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah, it was broke up, and they just. So they moved into burglaries, and we've covered a few of those, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, and now, Tapin's basically on the run at this point, point. Um, so he's. Highway robbery. 
Yeah, you know? it's highway. So he's become a highwayman. Uh, short-lived, but at this point he is a highwayman. So by all accounts, it was possibly... Turpin was possibly involved in some robberies, highway robberies, that took place on the 10th and 12th of April. Um, but again, yeah. he, he's, not, he's not identified no. at that no. point as being uh, Turpin. So we can it's just speculation, but we can more or less assume it probably was him. Because later on, on the 10th of July, he was identified as being one of the suspects in another robbery, along with his friend Thomas Roden, uh, and the, the person who identified him actually said it was Turpin the Butcher. Yeah, so he Turpin knew. the Butcher, so he knew who it was. He knew him, and he actually yeah. said, uh, and Thomas Roden, the, the pewter, pewterer, uh, which I think is someone who works with silver and yeah, stuff in it. Yeah, like, well, same with candlesticks yeah. and all the shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was recognised at some point. So, again, you know, he's he's on the run anyway. Now he's just in more, more yeah, shit. I mean, every, every, every decision he makes just puts him in more yeah. shit, doesn't it? I mean... I mean, I've looked at this a little bit, and, and you, you can you can tell us a pattern because it, it's it's usually around the Epping Forest area, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's have a, a bagley or a fucking a stagecoach could be held up or something. Anything around the Epping Forest, the yeah. Epping so, Forest would like to maybe his kind of haunt where he was. Tenth of July, he gets spotted. Several days later, the two believed to be Turpin and Roden again. Yeah, struck again in the Epping Forest, and this is where they robbed the man from. Southwark. With a further bounty of £100 on their head, they continued their activities through the latter half of 1735. In August, they robbed uh, five people accompanying a coach on Barnes Common, and shortly after that, they attacked another coach party between Putney and Kingston Hill. Right, on the 20th of August, the pair relieved a Mr Godfrey of six guineas and a pocket book. Mm, I wonder what that was. I like the way they say that as well, relieved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give, me yeah. A, give me a book, you know. <laughs> this was on uh, Hounslow Heath. So, anyway, the two, fearing capture, they moved on to Blackheath now in Hertfordshire and then back to London. On the 5th of December, the two were seen near Winchester. They, they, they get around, don't they? Yeah. They get around. Uh, but in late December, following the capture of John Jones, they separated. Uh, Roden had previously been convicted of counterfeiting, and in July 1736, he was convicted of passing counterfeit coins under the alias Daniel Crisp. Uh, Crisp's true name was eventually discovered, and he was transported in 1738. Jones also suffered transportation to the 13 colonies. So he's gone there as well. So he's gone, and everyone's gone, so... Oh, they, oh, so they kept him in jail as Daniel Chris for two years. Then they eventually discovered his name, his real name, and then transported yeah, him. That's it. We yeah. got you. You know. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Obviously, you know. I mean, you must know these days that you know prison M days wasn't like you know what they are these days. No. You know I mean, you know, you're locked up in the dungeons or whatever, and you have a bit of bread, bit of water. That's your lot. You know. Yeah. Like, so don't, I mean, don't a see lot, daylight for a lot for, of them chose to get. Transported, uh, trans- oh. transportated, is that the word? Yeah. But a lot of them chose that over, you know. Yeah, obviously, maybe some didn't make it, you know. I mean, it's a long journey. A lot of them di- died on the way, yeah, for sure. Over, yeah, chucked overboard, weren't they? So we're still in 1736 then. Yeah. And it's possible that Turpin travelled to Holland to escape capture. Yeah. Maybe stayed out there for a... A little bit of a while, maybe up to 37. So he maybe took a year out just to, um, you know, the f- throw people off a scent. Maybe they think he's he's, he's dead or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that happens. 
so but he does return we we know he returns in february th- uh, 1737 because he was seen spending a night in puckeridge where he, his wife a maid and a man called robert not yep. yeah Turpin had arranged to meet them with a letter that and this had been intercepted by the authorities yep, so obviously there's so a, they yeah, were laying yeah. in wait again you know he's like um it's like a snake, isn't he? You know, they're laying in wait. They've intercepted this letter. Yeah, mm. we know he's coming, blah, yep. blah, blah. They're there waiting for him. And Turpin still manages to elude him. So he must have got wind that this was going on. Uh, but he escapes back to Cambridge, I believe. Right. Uh, but everyone else that was there was arrested uh, on charges of... Uh, what On charges of violent suspicion of being dangerous rogues and robbing upon the highway. Mm. Um, Which I find laughable because obviously, yeah. you know, this is his wife, isn't it? And, yeah. and the maid. So, I mean, Robert not, he, you know, is there, any but um, so yeah. So he's arrested for that. They were all imprisoned at Hartford uh, Jail, although the women later were acquitted, which is you know fair enough. That you know, cause again, it's laughable, really. I mean, that's what they was obviously going to try taping on when they caught him, but they didn't catch him. Yeah. Okay, so this Robert Knott was later released. Uh, the next, it says at the next Aziz, and we think an, like an Aziz is like it was. A, it was actually a obviously they in that certain place town they had a certain court, you know. But sometimes if they wanted a you know a, a bigger judge or a high court judge, it had to come in. Yeah. So they had to wait for a high court judge to come in from another place, a town or city, and then he would make the judgment. Uh, and obviously, he didn't think this guy was really involved in the the you know the, the no. highway stuff, so he he freed him. Yeah. Uh, then we get another report in late March, which suggests that Turpin alone robbed a company of Hylers. Yeah, in the same month, yeah. Higglers? Higglers. Fuck's an Higgler? Fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out in a minute. Anyway, he robbed them. Yeah, he robbed them. Um, Let me Google it. In the same month, he was reported to be working alongside two other highwaymen who were later possibly identified as Matthew King, who goes by the name of... Tom King and Stephen Porter. The trio were responsible for a string of robberies between March and April of 1737, which ended suddenly in an incident at Whitechapel. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Higgles, by the way, is the, uh, the door-to-door salesman kind oh, of right. type. Okay. So yeah, people go door and sell yeah, some yeah. product and that, you know what I mean? So like, like, a, like, a, you know... So that was like an opportunist thing, then. Yeah, obviously, he was so much, and he whipped it. Anyway. So this incident in Whitechapel, then? Depending on which report is read, obviously, you know, it's uh, uh, it said a stolen horse near Waltham Forest. Uh, its owner, Joseph Major, reported the theft to Richard Bayes, landlord of the Green Man Public House at Leytonstone. Mm, and this Bayes is the He term. wrote later the biography of Turpin. Anyway, he tracked the horse to the Red Lion, which was at Whitechapel. Major identified the animal, but as it were late evening and the horses had not yet been collected by the owners, they elected to hold a vigil. Mm. Right, this is this where it gets nice. So he recognises the horses are potentially stolen. Yep. He, he gets in touch with a local constable and that, and they set up a vigil on Waiting these horses. For the, yeah. Obviously, the guy's going to jump on the horse. Got you, you know? Yep. Anyway, uh, it was uh, John King, which was Matthew King's brother, Mm-hmm. arrived late that night and was quickly apprehended by the party, which included the local constable. John King, John King told the whereabouts of Matthew King, 
who was waiting nearby. Grassed. Yeah, a grassed on him, yeah. King was wounded by gunfire. Obviously, there's a, there kind of a fracas, kind of a, you know, a standoff. Uh, and King died on the 19th of May. Potter, uh, Potter was later caught, but his trial was released for lack of evidence against him. Mm. It just seems, you know, Turpin just seems to be one step ahead, doesn't he? He's either... Why, though? He's either, he's either really not involved in this stuff that's going down, yeah. you know, he's taking a back seat, or, or he's... You know he's quite clever, and he's he's staying out, staying out the way. I do like this passage about this 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 in you know, the shooting. It said that King immediately drew a pistol, which he clapped to his chest, on which King struggled to get. Obviously, he had one on his chest and another gun on him, but he struggled to get the other one out. Turpin, who was waiting not far off on horseback, hearing the skirmish, came up, and when King cried out, "Dick, shoot him, or we're taking." Uh, at which instant Turpin fired his pistol and it missed Mr. Bayes and shot King in two places, who cried out, Dick, you have killed me, which Turpin, hearing, rode away as hard as he could. Uh, King fell at the shot, though he lived a week uh, after, and gave Turpin the character of a coward. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what it was designed to do, that story, was because that comes from Richard Bayes himself. Yeah, this is from Richard Bayes. A lot um, of people think it was... Richard Bayes who shot King. Yeah. So, but he, he retold the story to make Turpin seem like a coward. Mm. You know, he, he sort of like shot this guy and then fled. Yeah. On horseback. But I, to me, I don't think, um, I don't think Turpin was there on, on this day. No. Um, I mean, because I don't see how they could have, they could have shot the other two or captured the other two, uh, shot one, caught one. But, but Turpin seems to get away again. So I, you know, I just don't think he was there. But, yeah. but who knows, I mean... So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, see, obviously, this guy... Is... You know, later on, when Turpin was eventually caught and all the rest of it, he gave his own account of what happened on that night, didn't he? And Ooh. it differed completely from what Bayes had said, so... Yeah, I mean, know. it... Um, Bayes' statement regarding the death of Matthew King uh, may have been heavily embellished. Several reports, including Turpin's own account, offered different versions... Uh, <laughs> offer different versions of what actually happened on that night uh, early in May 1737. Uh, early claims report that Turpin had shot King. However, by the following month, the same newspapers retracted this claim and stated that Bayes had fired the fatal shot. Mm. So That's what I mean. So it's, it, I mean, that's more likely, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Turpin now has used a gun quite often. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't see him firing two shots into into the wrong person. No, I can't, no. Uh, I mean, it's possible, but it doesn't seem that way. But we move on from that fatal shooting to another one, which really changes the course of Turpin's life. Um, this, is the, this is the moment which really um, does for him, if, if you like. Because um, after the shooting of King... Turpin escapes to his hideaway in the Epping Forest. Right. Okay. Yep. Where he's seen entering, we believe this is some sort of cave where he was hiding mm. out in Epping Forest, but he was seen entering by a Thomas Morris, who was a servant of one of the forest keepers. Yep. Okay, so obviously Morris, knowing about this bounty uh, and all the rest of it, which was £200 at the time, decided he was going to capture Turpin. Well, yeah. I'm saying with a hundred pound on his head. Yeah, you, you, so he you know. so he goes in there, 
uh, armed with pistols, but Turpin comes out with a carbine rifle, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, basically shoots Morris because he's yeah. attempting to capture him. Now, there was an article which basically sums this up in the Gentleman's Magazine. Printed in the June uh, 1737. Yeah, which reads... It having been represented to the king that Richard Turpin did on Wednesday the 14th of May last barbarously murdered Thomas Morris, servant to Henry Thompson, one of the keepers of Epping Forest, and commit another notorious felonies and robberies near London. His Majesty is pleased to promise his most gracious pardon to any of his accomplices. In other words, mm. you know. And this is where you get the reward of £200. Yeah, pounds, and this, yeah. yeah, and the reward of £200. Right, to any person or any persons that shall discover him, so as he may be apprehended and convicted. Turpin was born at Thaxted in Essex. He's about 30, by trade a butcher, and about 5 feet 9 inches high. Has a blank brown complexion, very much, very much marked with the smallpox. Mm. His cheekbone is broad, his face thinner towards the bottom, his visage short, pretty upright and broad about the shoulders. All right. So then we get suggestions in the paper from the seventh, sixth and seventh of May yeah. that he committed a couple more highway robbery, robberies near Epin, uh, and obviously you know he's in the area, so it's most likely. Yeah. But it seems that he may have lost his horse at this point because on the 7th of May, Elizabeth King okay, attempts to secure a couple of horses from a brother, Matthew King. Um, and she's meant to leave them at an inn called the Red Lion. Okay, but the landlord of the old Red Lion suspects the horses of being belonging to highwaymen. Yeah. And uh, calls the local authorities. They turn up and they arrest King at the scene. King was arrested for questioning, but late, was later released and without charge. Yeah. Uh, Moses killing unleashed a flood of Turpin reports, and a reward of two hundred pounds was offered for his capture. And this is this is why you're getting loads of reports of him because everyone yeah. wants to find him now because yeah. he's so. At this point, we're back. We're into uh, into the early sort of seventeen thirty-seven um, and. Turpin's changed his name at this point. Yeah. Moved up to Lincolnshire. You know, get away from London. Uh, changed his name to, at uh, this time, he's living under the alias of John Palmer. Yeah. Uh, some say Palmer, 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 uh, because his mother's name was uh, Palmer, wasn't she? Yeah. So it, it's something along those lines, but it's most commonly, I mean, when he answers in court later on, he does answer to the name of John Palmer. So yeah. we'll go from there with that. But this is June 1737. And Turpin at the time is essentially stealing horses. That's how yeah. he's making his living, isn't it? That. This time in June, he was at, he was known to be boarding at the Ferry Inn in Bruff. Okay. Yep. And he was regularly travelling across the River Humber between East Riding of Yorkshire and Lincolnshire. Yeah, right. And he was posing as a horse trader. He's really living the lifestyle now because he's, you know, as this John Park, posing as a horse trader where he's really just stealing horses yeah. but he's living the high life thief, he's, he's going to local like events you know like um, game shooting and all yeah. that with, you know, yeah. with, the, with the gentleman and that and that's he's, it he's really you know associating himself with these guys so it comes to the 2nd of October so he's been living the high life for quite some time and he's you know living as John Palmer but he seems to get himself into scrapes and he just can't seem to help it um, and we all know characters like this don't we where they just can't it don't matter what you know. Whether if there's a wrong thing to say, 
They'll say it. He's going to say it. And yeah. this is a prime example of that. So he goes to Lincolnshire, steals a couple of horses, rides back to Bruff, stops at the, the, the ferry inn you know, where he's boarding at, yep. waiting for the ferry and all that. So he's there. So he spends the night there. It's on the 2nd of October, 1738, when he shoots a man's cock. Okay? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So this is what he gets done for. <laughs> what, what exactly happens is he's spending the night there. The cockerel, it happens to be the landlord's cockerel, starts crowing in the morning. Yeah. He takes umbrage to this, goes yeah. outside, armed with pistols, and shoots, and shoots the cockerel. Right. Uh, obviously, the landlord, not being too pleased about this, you know, mostly because he's lost his alarm clock, comes out and, and starts a heated conversation uh, with with Tapin. Yeah, also starts to shoot him as well. <laughs> yeah, which don't go down too no, well. No, he doesn't, no. So he goes to get the local law... Who and, are... And there's three East Riding Justices. Uh, one who's called George Crowell, a uh, member of Parliament for Hull. And then there was Hugh Bethel, a Marmaduke Constable. Ooh, good names. Indeed. And so they take witness statements at the time. Yep. And uh, they've got enough to charge yep. uh, Palmer at this time. So he's going under Palmer. They've got enough to charge him. But they, they ask him, basically say, look, if you pay for this guy's cock... Right? Yeah. Um, we will just let the charges slide. Yeah. You know, we'll say no more about it because you know, they, don't, they don't want the asshole. But for whatever reason, Palmer refuses to pay the sorting. Yep. Uh, and so he's committed to the House of Corrections in Beverly. Okay, and it's at this time where, I mean, people oh, people have read into this that he went quietly, you know. He, he, he goes... You know, without too much of a struggle. Yeah, he didn't, so he people didn't, have, he didn't attempt to escape or yeah, anything so, like that. You know, so, so people have read into that that he was sort of depressed from his, you know, because he he just gave up on. I don't believe that. You know, because he's gone from living the high life two minutes ago. Now people are he's saying, depressed. you know, you know which yeah, you know, obviously it, rich people can be depressed, but it, I, I don't know. I think um, I honestly think what happens here is he doesn't think he's going to get found out. Yeah, he's got away that many times. Yeah, he's got he, he's getting away with it. They think he's John Palmer. He yeah, thinks oh, I'll just go along with this and and you know whatever. But they don't quite turn out like that, does it? Because no. at this point, some people become suspicious of the amount of money that Palmer has. Yeah. Uh, considering he's just meant to be a horse trader and all the rest of it, and, and obviously that you know brings in some money. But mm. this guy does have a lot of money. I think it was a Robert Appleton who was clerk of the piece of East Riding at the time. So he's actually going into it and looking, checking out this guy. And he, you know, let's you see know, if your story kind of. He's you know. sure that this guy is funding his lifestyle by criminal activities yeah and uh it was pretty good judgment really because he uh <laughs> he was yeah. spot on money yeah what well, it was it a turpin claimed that he was a butcher who had fallen into debt and that he had uh levented from his home in long sutton lincolnshire mm. which uh, just didn't jive with the fact no, that he, actually, it didn't, did it, he had mind. plenty of money on him when he was caught and he was stopping at lodges and he had horses and yeah so obviously it's suspicious isn't it so you can understand where this guy's coming from this uh, appleton uh, it was said, uh, when contacted uh, the JP at Long Sutton, uh, Mr. Delamere, he confirmed that uh, John Palmer had lived there for about nine months. But there was, uh, he said, was uh, suspected of stealing sheep Uh-oh. and escaped custody of the local constable. So there you go. Yep. Delamere also suspected that Palmer was a horse thief and had taken several uh, depositions supporting his view. And again, that's witness statement. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And told the three JPs that he would prefer him to be detained, detained for now. 
The three GPs now presumed that the case was too serious for Palmer to remain at Beverly House of Correction and demanded sureties for his appearance at York hmm. Assizes, which is obviously what they're saying here is that this courthouse, yeah. This courthouse. This, this, this correction house at Beverly's not, it, not capable not, of not, dealing not, with this. We need yeah. a high court judge here. They brought him in because he shot a cock. Yeah. And now, now he's a... Now he's a Horse thief, uh, horse thief, stealing sheep, things, stealing running sheep. from the law, yeah. and they've said, "Okay, so, you know, let's get this. <laughs> let's get him out court. of here." Yeah, yeah. Uh, we need him into a proper high court. You know, a, a, a proper high court. Anyway, Turpin uh, refused, and so on. Sixteenth of October, he was transferred to York Castle mm. in handcuffs. I think now, what, this is what, where I think for York. Uh, what he refused here is to pay the money that he. You know, people. I think what they wanted is the money, didn't they? They wanted the money, what he owed for what he stolen. Mm. Um, and he ref- and I think the, again he refuses to pay, even though he seems to be quite lavish at the time. And so yeah, he's transferred at that point. I think that's essentially what happened there. I mean, a horse theft became a capital offence in 1545. Oh yeah, it's punishable by death. I mean, it's like it's the equivalent of stealing someone's car, isn't it? Yeah. You I know? mean, he said during the 17th and 18th century. Crimes in violation of property rights were some of the most severely punished. Uh, most of the 200 capital statues were property offences. So he mm. got them. Yeah, so, so nearly all, all people that were cat killed uh, were were done for basically horse rustling, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Rob- it was even it was even more common. I mean, this even says that like murder was relatively uncommon at the time. So to, to have all these people killed for stealing horses is is crackers, isn't it? But yeah, he said uh, Turpin had stolen several horses while operating under the pseudonym of Palmer. Mm. So in July seventeen thirty seven, he stole a horse from Pinchbeck in Lincolnshire and took it to visit his father at Hampstead. When Turpin returned to Bruff, stealing three horses along the way, he left the gelding with his father. The identity of John Turpin's son was well known, and the horse's identity was soon discovered. So now they're starting to, you know, the horses, who they're with, and you know, they're starting to put this stuff together now. Do you think his Do you think his father knew he was coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On September the twelfth, seventeen thirty-eight, therefore, John Turpin was committed to jail in Essex on charges of horse theft. But following his help in preventing a jailbreak. The charges were dropped on the 5th of March, 1739. About a month after Palmer had moved to York Castle, Thomas Creasy, the owner of the three horses stolen by Turpin, managed to track them down and recover them. And it was for these thefts that he was eventually tried. So this is where he... This is where... This is my favourite part of the story, I think, because... He's gone through all this, and uh, I think he, I think he at this point realizes he's in he's in a bit of shit. Like, but they still think he's, but he's still kind of cool. Yeah, way. he still thinks he's going to get away with it, doesn't yeah. he? So, but so at this time he's in he's in York Castle now, isn't he? That's where he's in York Castle. Now. But they still don't know that he's taking No, they don't. They they just think he's uh, uh, Palmer. That's it. Right. Right, so this is this is where the story really gets interesting for me because he's gone through all this shit, you know, yeah. and he, he, he somehow thinks he's getting away with it, and he, he is to some extent. They still think he's John Palm, and they still yeah. want this money for all of what he's done and that. It all sort of falls apart just by um, a stroke of uh, luck. I mean, not in his case, but if you want to call it that, because mm. he realises at this point that 
he's going to need serious help because if he's found guilty, it's death, yeah? Yep. Now, you can get a pardon almost if you um, if you get enough character witnesses that will vouch for you and that, yep. say you're a good fellow or not, you will get um, sent um, abroad, you know, Ooh. to the territories which we spoke of before. So that's where what he's gunning for at this point. But this was his downfall. Yeah, he thinks he's going to get the. He thinks he's going to be moved from York to uh, back to Essex yep. to face trial there. He thinks he's going to have enough people down there to, um, you know, give him character witnesses as you know as a butcher and all the rest of yep. it, which he's done. So he's really that's what he's guaranteed. That's what he's hoping on. And that, at that point, then he'll get transportations rather than death. But it doesn't quite work out like that because they don't move him from York to Essex. So. At this point, he's running out of options, so he starts yeah. writing letters to people, and this becomes problematic because he sends from his cell a letter to his brother-in-law. No, 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 I don't know why he didn't send it straight to his sister, but I'm presuming that um, it would have looked a bit suspicious if this John Palmer's sending letters to Turpin, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he sends it to this uh, Pompey, is it? Yeah. Rivenel. Yeah. Uh, who is, like I say, he's the brother-in-law of uh, Turpin, and they're living in Hempstead at the time. Now... The problem comes in these days. Nowadays, obviously, you put you buy a stamp, you put it on your letter, and then that's it's paid for. Yeah. In these back in, in these days. days, you paid on delivery. Yeah. Okay. So, post office you know, says to this Rivenel, "We've got some post here for you from uh, York," and he obviously looks at it and says, "I don't know anybody in York." Now, some accounts say that he basically said it was sixpence or something to pay for this this letter, and he said, "Fuck that!" <laughs> I'll pay you know, that because no. because. He probably knew at this point that it was yeah. from Turpin and he didn't want to get uh, tied up in, you know, and all that. So, obviously, the correspondence not being um, claimed for. yeah, and paid for. Back to the post office, wasn't it? It goes back to the post office at right. Staffan Weldon, okay, where, and this is where it gets, you know, coincidental, if you want to call it that. It, it turns up at this post office of James Smith. Now, it just turns out that James Smith happened to be the very person who taught Turpin to write mm. at school. Okay, so when he, yeah, so when he, this letter so. turns up from this John Palmer, Smith looks at it and he says, hang on a minute, I recognise this handwriting. Smith tells this uh, the local judge or whatever, Thomas Stubbins, uh, that he's got concerns about this letter and he believes it might be from Turpin himself. So right. obviously Stubbins pays the postage and opens the letter. Okay, and then obviously from the... From the letter, they you know they they're pretty sure, but Smith needs to identify the, this guy. You know he can't yep. say it's handwriting, so he he decides he'll ride to York Castle, and he does so on the twenty third of February. He turns up at the cell of John Palmer. Now, when he yep. turns up at York Castle, he says, "I'm here to see um, Dick Turpin," and they say, well, "There's nobody here." About it. And he says, "No, no, I'm John Palmer," and they ask him who he is and, and all that, and he says, "I think John Palmer is Dick Turpin," and they're all mm. laughing at him, saying, "Oh, you're, you're you're mad and all that." Anyway, he says, "Let me see the guy." So they say, "Okay," let take him into the take him into the cell, and it's immediately clear that yeah, you know, uh, John Palmer recognizes this guy. Although later on he'll say he doesn't, but uh, the, you know, they know he knows, so he gets. Obviously, there's a trial at this notes. point, but he gets, he gets the reward, which is about which is equivalent of what twenty nine thousand pounds, I believe. Yeah, twenty of, of our day's money. Yeah, yeah, and that obviously again was the the uh, bounty that was paid from the Duke of Newcastle. Yeah. Okay, for the Thomas uh, Thomas Morris murder. Yep. Okay, so now we've moved on to the trial, haven't we? Because now they realise they're they're holding. 
Dick, Dick Turpin. Turpin. They've got Dick and, Turpin and John Pepper. So we've gone from, you know, from this, you know, sheep rustling, shooting a cockerel, uh, to to some big shit now. Burglaries, poaching, yep. murders. Yep. You know, highway robbery. So he's really, he's really shit. Shit is the fan for him yep. you know, at this point. But. He says that uh, although there were some questions as to where the trial should be held, now this is very, to me where we need to know where, obviously the trial and you know the, the execution. Where, well, this is what I say before what because he he really hoped he was going to go back to Essex because he he was open to get enough character witnesses down there yeah. to get transportation, um, but. They didn't move him to. They didn't no, move him to, no. and they tried uh, him at York. Yeah, the Duke of Newcastle wanted him tried in London, uh, but Turpin was tried at York. I think he would have got off if he'd gone to London. So it was probably a bad idea that the the Duke yeah. did that. Turpin was charged with the theft of Creasy's horse, a mare worth three pounds, a foal worth twenty shillings, a gelding worth three pounds. The indictments stated that the alleged offences had occurred at Welton on 1st of March 1739 and described Turpin as John Palmer, alias Palmer, alias Richard Turpin, late of the castle of York in the county of York Labourer. Technically, the charges were invalid. The, the offences had occurred at Heckington, not Welton, and the date was also incorrect. The offences were in August 1738. Yeah, but who cares about details? They weren't bothered. <laughs> they got him. That's it to me. They yep. got him. So they, they can put a lot of stuff on him anyway. You know what I mean? Plant stuff. And you know why he did that? While he was down there, oh, them horses went missing. Um, well, I did do them horses. Well, he was in the area. You did them. They've got that him was They've got him now, haven't they? Presiding over the trial was Sir William Chapel. He was a senior and respected judge in his early 60s. So now we've got a senior judge now. Who's, you know, we've got a high court judge now. Yep. So uh, the prosecution was uh, directed by the King's Counsel, Thomas Place and Richard Kroll. Brother of the George. Brother of, yeah. yeah, George is the guy who arrested him for the cockerel. That's right. So obviously, yeah. And proceedings uh, were recorded by a York resident, the name of Thomas Kill. Turpin had no defence barrister. That's quite strange. Why not? Turpin didn't have a defence barrister at his trial because in those days you didn't have a legal, like you do now, you didn't have a legal right to a representation. Yeah, right. Among the seven witnesses called to testify were Thomas Creasy, James Smith, the man who had recognised Turpin's handwriting. Yep. Uh, Turpin offered little in the way of questioning his accusers. When asked if he had anything to ask of Creasy, he replied, I cannot say anything, for I have not... Any witnesses come this day, as I have expected, and therefore beg of your lordship to put off my trial till another day. Mm. And now, Crease is the guy who stole the horses from, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. But like I say, this is what this is what he's really begging for at this point. He's he's asking the judge to to postpone the trial so he can be moved to um, London. And then obviously get his representation, his witnesses, and all that. But they're saying they won't have none of it. No, they're just having none of this. Uh, when asked about Smith, he claimed not to know him. Mm-hmm. Mm. When questioned himself, Turpin told the court that he had bought the mare and foal from a innkeeper near Heckington. What if he did? What if he did, though? What if he? D- I mean, obviously they got him for other shit, but at the moment they're only trying him on this horse theft, aren't they? Well, they've got loads of him now. They don't want yeah. to let him go. Oh now. no, that's it. So they're going to try. Looks like they're going to try him for for this whatever. They're going to find him guilty. But what if he did buy, buy these horses from 
I think his name now, you know, he's, yeah. he's got this he's big probably, bounty I mean, on his head and it's, the, the it's one and gone. 90% certain that he stole them, but I mean, yeah. there's like little, you know, you just never know. Miscarriage of justice. Yeah, he repeats his original story of how he came to use the pseudonym name Palmer. He, he was claiming that it was his mother's maiden name. Yeah. And when asked by the judge for his name before he came to Lincolnshire, he, he said, said Turpin. So, without leaving the courtroom, the jury found Turpin guilty of mm. the first charge of stealing the mare and foal, and following further proceedings, guilty of stealing the gelding. So, they had him anyway. They're going yeah. to, whatever. I mean, they could say, well, okay, you might not, you stole that horse, but you stole them two horses over here. We're still going to get you for it anyway. Mm. Seems like he's give up at this point anyway. Yeah, because I he, think so. Yeah, because yeah. he, he even says, I mean, you know, he says, what was your name before you came? He said, all right, I was taping you. Yeah. So, obviously, he, yeah. he knew he was going to get screwed over anyway, didn't he? Really. Uh, throughout the trial, Turpin had repeatedly claimed that he had not been allowed enough time to form his own defence, mm-hmm. that proceedings should be delayed until he could call his witnesses and that the trial should be held at exit. So he wanted to go back to London. Mm. That's what I was saying. Yeah. To get his witnesses, yeah. Before sentencing him, the judge asked Turpin if he could offer any reason why he should not be sentenced to death. Turpin said, It is very hard upon me, my lord, because I was not prepared for my defence. He probably said it more Essex, though. Yeah. He probably said, It's very hard upon me, my lord, because <laughs> I'm not prepared for my defence. Yeah. The judge replied, why was you not? Yeah, because he basically says, the judge says, you knew this day was coming. We told you months ago that yep. he was going to get, you know, this trial was coming. But he still repeats that, you know, Tapin still says, wow, well, I thought I was going to Essex, didn't I? Yep. And it, the, he said, probably said it like that as well. I thought I was going to Essex, mate. <laughs> but he said, <laughs> uh, he said, the judge says, no, you're here now. Yep. And uh, he says, basically... Whoever told you that you were going to go to Essex and that, you know... You, yeah, you're wrong. He's you told know. you a pack of, pack of lies, basically. Yeah, that's it. And he says, look, you, you've, I'm going to find you... Or your, your peers have found you guilty of a crime that's worthy of death. Yeah. And it is my office to pronounce sentence against you. And at this point, I sentence you to death yeah. by hanging. Yep. So, so then we move on to the execution. execution. Yep. So, before his execution, Turpin frequently received visitors. Now, obviously, he's, he's kind of celebrity now. Yeah, well, you get... You know what I mean? Yeah. You, like, you know, you maybe get some women in to do the last stuff and favourite food, you uh, know, your last meal, it, I don't know. It's but. alleged that his jailers made a few quid out of him. Yeah, upwards of, of £100. Celebrity, and his jailers were making this money from selling drinks and, you know, all that kind of shit. Because, like I say, he had this money and he can't take it with him. No. So, he's just... Using it, and he's he's spending it willy nilly. I mean, at one point the the local clergyman comes to see him, and you know, well, at this time he, he's a, he's a celebrity, isn't he? And he even no. turns him away. He says, "I'm not interested in that." He even goes out. This is the day before his his uh, execution. He buys himself a new frock coat and shoes, and he also pays. I mean, listen to this. He pays five mourners, right? <laughs> yeah, for his for his. He wants these people there to mourn. Anyway, so he, he pays each, per, each person, yeah, yeah three pounds and ten shillings to be shared out between the five. I mean, that's still a few quid. Yeah, that's definitely a few quid. Um, you know, and like you say, he probably put some aside for a decent wake afterwards and all that. You know? <laughs> It'll be in the tavern. They'll be bothered. On the seventh of April, seventeen thirty-nine, followed by his adoring mourners. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Turpin and John Steed, who was a horse, horse thief. thief yeah. 
were taken through York by open car to Knavesmire, which mm-hmm. was then the city's equivalent of London's Tyburn Gallows. Yep. And um, I like this bit because it says that Turpin behaved himself with amazing assurance and he bowed to spectators as he passed. So he's, mm. he's, he's there on the back of this cat going along and he's waving and, uh, you know, apparently he was having a good crack with the crowd when he got to the gallows as well. I mean, is he, is this this guy, you know, hoping for a, a, a reprieve, a last-minute yeah, reprieve, I, do you reckon? Yeah, I do, I do believe because it does seem that um, York had no permanent hangman. Okay, mm. so it was custom to pardon a prisoner on the condition that he ex- acted as the ex- executioner. Ah, right. So obviously, you know, one of the prisoners came out and said, right, "We'll give you a pardon if you you cut the other guy's head off, or yeah. you hang the other guy, you hang, that yeah. kind of thing." Yeah. But on this day, when he gets there, there's, there's unfortunately for him, there's already a guy there stood, stood waiting for him to turn up. Ah, so, right. so, I, so I honestly believe on on the way to his trial, he's, he's still thinking, you know, I'm going to kill this other guy and. I'm going to get away yeah. with it kind of thing. And I'll be the hangman for the next few years or whatever. Yeah. And an account in the Gentleman's Magazine for 7th of April, 1739, notes Turpin's brashness. Mm. Turpin behaved in a undaunted manner as he mounted the ladder, feeling his right leg tremble. Yeah. He's shitting it. Well, well, it would be, yeah. yeah. Of course you would. <laughs> he spoke a few words to the topsman. Yep. He then threw himself off and expired in five minutes. Mm. So he strangled him. He strangled to death. Uh, but even there, you know, he's climbing a ladder and he's still having a few. He's having a bit of banter with the old, uh, the old, the old hangman like. The short drop method of hanging meant those that were executed were killed by slow strangulation. Mm. And so Turpin was left hanging until late afternoon before being cut down and taken to a tavern in Castlegate. Yep. Uh, the next morning, Turpin's body uh, was buried in the graveyard of St. George's Church in Fishergate, opposite what is now the Roman Catholic St. George Church. On the Tuesday following the burial, the corpse was reportedly stolen by body snatchers. We'll see, well, body snatchers. There was for medical research, was a common enough occurrence and was lightly tolerated by the authorities in York. Mm, but it does turn out that the, the local people were getting a bit upset about yeah, this practice. Was. And yeah. By all accounts, these guys who stole this body of um, Turpin were actually trying to make money from it. They actually oh, yeah. put, they put it. They put it on display mm. and charge people to come and see it. And that's how <laughs> that's how the authorities w- yeah. w- were notified of, of where he was. So there he goes and gets the body back. And allegedly, the, 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 he's buried now in St. George Graveyard, mm. is where they said they buried him. But again, some, doubt, some speculation some doubt remains because, as where he is yeah, buried. Because they said that they buried him there, but they might have moved him somewhere else so that yeah. if anyone came to snatch him later on. But they did bury him in quick line to get rid of it, you know, to, 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 to speed the decaying process. So I think he was moved somewhere uh, quite a way away from there. I don't think he's buried in that uh, churchyard now. Um, you know. Possibly even gone back to London. No, I, I don't think he. I think he's probably in the graveyard, but probably. Well, it was definitely unmarked. Mm. Um, there's a, there is a gravestone in Fishgate now, which is the name you know bears the name of John Palmer or, or yeah. Richard uh, Turpin. But people believe that was put there a lot later. Uh, you know, years and years later. Yeah. As you know, as, as, when it became almost like a tourist attraction. Mm. 
But um, no, his body's still there somewhere, but where exactly, I don't know. So that's the story of Dick Turpin, alias John Palmer. Yeah. So, you know, this all starts when does he join the gang? It says, following the arrest of other members of the gang, 1935. So it's about 1935 he gets to join the gang, is it? Ooh. I mean, if you look at this... I mean, yeah, by summer of 1734, he was close associated with the gang. Yeah. So he gets involved with the gang in 1734, and he dies in... 1739. Is it? Mm. This all happens in five-year period. Mm. Fuck it now. Yeah, young as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he's, when he died, 33. 33. So, so he was a, so, I mean, bit, of a bit of a rogue. But this... Imagine, so, so was the gang. He gets involved with a gang. You know, he's starting off as a butcher. 1734. You know. you know, he starts off a butcher, gets involved with a gang. 1734, and by the 1739, he's, he's dead. So you're talking about a five-year whirlwind of <laughs> um, extravagance and, you know, t- you know, five years and it's, it's all over, but... I mean, he started. He started off as a butcher, and then he started just you now this gang, and they, they, they. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was just a butcher by trade. Mm. But obviously, he was taking in the meat that was stolen. You know what I mean? That's how he got into it. So, he, and you saw the form. There was more money to be made on the, that. the other side. So of the then he started five petty thefts. Uh, then by burglars, then by horse and sheep stealing, and it just keeps going, doesn't it? It just yeah. keeps getting worse and worse, and you know, yeah, butcher. Poacher, burglar, horse thief, highwayman, mm. murderer. Yeah. You know? Well, alleged yeah, well, murderer. Cock yeah. shooter. Yeah, definitely That's a cock shooter. But, That's um, <laughs> a cock shooter, you know, and it brought his da- it was his downfall. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the story of uh, Dick Turpin. Yeah. Okay. So. hope you enjoy, enjoyed that, because I think we did. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, really. there's a little bit of myths to clear up, isn't there? Because there's, there's the myth of him riding... To um, I mean the horse black best that that was just a myth that never I, mean, I don't yeah think that, that was, was made up for the television and the media uh, and a book yeah of course one of the legends that surrounds him or myths if mm. you like was that he rid from Westminster to York to give himself an alibi for a, a crime that had been committed but it turns out this story was actually based on the journey of another criminal called John Neverson who rode 190 miles in under 20 hours to provide an alibi for a robbery he committed in Kent. And he actually played uh, bowls with the the, uh, the Lord Mayor of York. Oh, so, well, so when they came a, to trial... You know, that's a definitely good yeah, alibi. They, they said, no, no, he was definitely he was playing with me you know, on yeah. Wednesday morning at York. You, so. You're not going against them, are you? Really? No, so yeah. it was so, good and it worked. Yeah, so. absolutely, yeah. But yeah, so... That's Dick Turpin. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, and, uh, thank you very much. Hope you enjoy it. I like uh, uh, we've enjoyed telling you. Yep, and please let us know. Send us feedback uh, on you know any shows yeah. that you want us to you know any topics you want us to cover that kind of stuff. Whether you, you like this show or liked other shows, we're always happy to um, to get your feedback. You can yep. join us on the don't break the owl. Oh, don't break the owl. <laughs> don't break the oath. Paranormal hangout. Yeah, on Facebook. Hangout, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, come and join us. But other than that, we'll see you next week. Be careful out there. Yeah, you need to be. You have a, should we call it a Shadow Man story? Is that the best way to call it? Yeah. Yeah, so... 
I mean, or, I mean, it, traditionally, I guess it's a ghost story, but Shadow Man story kind of fits the bill a little bit more apt. So, do you want to? Um, is that the thir- is this the first paranormal thing that's happened to you, or has it been a? Well, um, we've had a lot of paranormal experiences here. However, this was the first experience with the shadow person I've had at this house. So, oh. and actually. Um, Last night, I saw another one, so that's not a good sign, because now it's starting to be reoccurring and start. Hmm. Right, I'll ask you about that in a minute. So, do you want to just uh, start with the first one, then, and just talk us through it? Yeah. Um, so, it was late, and my son... He sleeps in the bed with us. He doesn't do well in his crib. So he fell asleep, and I rolled over to tell my fiancé goodnight. And when I looked in his direction, um, by his dresser, I saw this figure just standing there staring. And it was, like, really tall, and it was darker than anything else in this room. Like, it was... I've, I've never actually seen that kind of thing before. Um, and I looked over and it just stood there for like, you know, maybe a minute and then it ran like insanely quick to the door, but the way that it ran, it kind of looked like, it kind of looked like its legs would shuffle. Like if, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I think it does like almost like it was, uh, would you say gliding? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, except the legs had, like, this unnaturally fast-running movement. Yeah, like, like, like on Scooby-Doo cartoon, or, you know, like a... Yeah, yeah, I get you. Okay. Then what happened? Well, it was by the door, and then it just disappeared, mm. and stayed awake for a while more, and didn't come back, so we fell asleep, and then started the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we ended up leaving the house at about 5 o'clock the next day, and um, we were gone for maybe five, six hours. And when we returned, my fiancé came upstairs and called me up here. So, I come up the stairs, and he points down to the ground, and I look down, and he's like, what is this? And there was this like oddly shaped puddle of this liquid that smelled like so disgustingly awful it smelled like rotten like I don't know like seafood or it was just like this rotting like disgusting smell Mm. and the way that the puddle was shaped it wasn't just like a circle puddle it was like it was like in a weird shape with like little spots here and like this big long thing and it was just like and it made the whole room smell like ugh, it was just so bad <laughs> I, <laughs> even... I suppose I should ask have you got any pets we have a dog but she's older and she has a very difficult time coming up the stairs and when she is home by herself she sleeps like that's all she does yeah. so we thought maybe it could have been her, but 
she was in the same spot that she was when we left, and she ran out the door to go pee because she hasn't had an accident in years. She's yeah. eight. That's fair enough. I just devil's advocate. So, um, you know, this smell sometimes accompanies ghosts, and, I, and I, I've had that myself where I've literally walked into the room and I can smell that. Yeah, it sounds weird to say, but I can actually smell that there's a ghost in there. So I've actually literally back out the room, gone back in, and then the smell's just cleared. So, you know, I don't know why he does that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the smell's definitely there, and that is rank, that smell. It's like, it is, it's like rotten garbage. Um, but, um, so, so that's the first night then. So then you see something happened last night. Yes, um, so after we got that cleaned off, yeah. it took to get that smell out but by the way um the smell after we cleaned the carpet in our room it stayed in the hallway for the rest of the night it was so weird but mm-hmm. um but it was just localized it just you know it didn't yeah. fill the house it's just that one spot yeah that was just that <laughs> yeah that's weird yeah but, um, so last night it was kind of a similar story however i think it was probably the same figure, but I saw it on two separate occasions throughout the evening. Um, I came upstairs, and to the right, there is um, a closet room, and, the, and like the door was open. And my mother-in-law was in my son's room. So I came up to talk to her, and I was following her voice. And as I looked to my right, I thought it was her, because I saw this figure by the opening of the door like sh- make this weird like shuffle movement and then run to the back wall and then I said something along the lines of hello like are you, are you okay <laughs> and she's like I heard her in this room and she's like yeah I'm fine what are you talking about I'm like uh I thought you were in the closet room and it freaked me out because I don't know there's just she 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 deals with things like this all the time here. I mean, this house gets a lot of activity, so she wasn't surprised necessarily, but it's still uneasy. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to ask you one question about the shadow person. What what emotion did you feel when you when you saw the first one? The first one. I don't know. I kind of got like frustrated. Okay. It's like I saw it and I was scared, uh, you know, because obviously if you see something like that in the middle of the night, it's going to freak you out. But, like, along with that, it's, like, deep feeling of, like, anger and frustration. And the way that, you know, it kind of looked over us and just, like, moved, it wasn't curious. It was more, like, angry or something. I don't know. Okay. That's interesting. I just wanted to know because, like, some people can be absolutely terrified and it goes with the gambit it goes from absolute terrified to to almost passive so I just wondered where you was on that spectrum it seems like you was almost in the middle I guess or maybe just moving up towards the frightened side so that's cool to know so um, you say things are going on there or have been going on there for a while so what what do you plan to do next I mean uh, do, is this something you're just going to put up with or I mean is it getting progressively worse do you feel well that's a good question. Um, honestly, you know, I've, I'm sensitive to spirits. I always have been. I get it from my mom's side. Um, first day that I moved in with him, I mean, 
automatically, you know, you sense something. And we have spirits here that we know their names, you know, we know who they are, you know, when they died, you know, like all this. And But the shadow people, I do think that is escalating because I haven't seen a shadow person here in two years. And as soon as I um, started to post my stories, it seemed that this is whenever the shadow people started to yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen one since... Oh gosh, I was probably like thirteen. So yeah, because uh, I mean that's that's common as well. That if you um, if you feed energy to them, they they can um, they can you know manifest uh, through that. So I mean that could that could have been a trigger for it. But um, I'm not saying that to scare you, obviously. But um, I wouldn't stop posting things or anything like that because it, it works both ways. I mean the mind is stronger than these creatures anyway if you want to call them that and you, you can will them away um, you know that's been well documented so I mean you've always got that on your side but um, but yeah so yeah great story and uh, you'll have to let me know if anything else happens yeah oh definitely I plan on posting it all because it took me years to even tell a soul let alone reddit so <laughs> The Samson Barbecue Grill is the official grill of backyard fun for you and your f- mosquitoes. Whether you're grilling for one or feeding the whole brood of mosquitoes, our durable and portable grills are perfect for patios, backyards, and engorged mosquitoes. Don't let mosquitoes ruin the moment. Orkin, home is where the bugs aren't. Visit orkin.com to learn more. <laughs> 